Yo! This episode, I am speaking with one of the country's foremost authorities on geology, so it's only natural that our sponsor is Trace Minerals Research. As many of you already know, aggressive farming practices over the last several decades have stripped our soil of their natural resources. The result is farmed food with an increasing deficiency in nutrients and natural minerals. Luckily, there are still some deposits of vast natural minerals still left in the world, one of which is Utah's Inland Sea, uh, which is a surviving inland sea, that has evaporated, leaving a particularly rich harvest of minerals and trace minerals like uh, chromium, manganese, iron, zinc, lithium, selenium, boron, etc., uh, etc., et uh, that are critical for our body's ability to function. Minerals are the elements that comprise the entire universe, this earth and everything on it, including you. If you're going camping, hiking, anything, uh, sports camps, whatever you're doing this summer that might leave you a little dehydrated, this is uh, the spectacular way to go to to replenish the system. So put a few drops in whatever you're drinking. Heck, my ex used to put it in her booze. Anything you can think of, just put a couple drops in and get those minerals back in your system. Whatever you're drinking, put a few drops of concentrated trace minerals in you. We got a link right on our website. And while you're on the webpage, make sure you sign up to become a member. You get all sorts of uh, benefits and specials and discounts on everything, especially from our sponsors, uh, many of which cheaper than Amazon. So really no excuse. We'll be having uh, uh, published data studies. We'll be having special events, which are all only going to be available to members only. It's only a dollar a month, and it's a great way to support the podcast. In fact, we're so excited about having new members that we have a event this uh, this month. Um, everyone, the next two people who sign up to become members will receive gifts from our sponsors. So yeah, the next two people, anybody, whoever it is, not only will I be a huge fan of yours, but uh, you'll get some special prizes for from from our sponsors. So uh, yeah, that's exciting. Check in, check it out, and become a member, and um, we'll uh, we'll reward you for it. And while you're at it, check out some things on our online store. Uh, everything for members is on discount. We've got, let's see, there's a couple things we can put up on the website for you. We've got uh, these toothbrushes that uh, we import from Korea that are tremendous, the best the best I've ever used. So we have a lot of people that I know that travel for business. A lot of my clients travel. Uh, a lot of them have chucked their electric toothbrushes just because they're too tedious to, to, to travel with and use these instead. And they eventually switch over and end up just using these. They're, they're tremendous. They're, they're the best toothbrushes I've found. Some other fun things on our website, uh, Party Smart. It's the summertime. There's a lot of weddings and graduations and barbecues and family events going on. If you are going to be drinking more than you normally would, this is a great way to mitigate the consequences. People, people always ask, uh, does it work? I, I mean, are, are you going to be shotgunning a bottle of Jack Daniels with a beer bong? Then no, nothing's going to work. But if you're, if you are just uh, knowing that you're going to be going to a wedding and seeing family and having a a few more uh, uh, tequila poppers than you normally would, then uh, yeah, this this is this is definitely going to help uh, help those who are not necessarily as keen on drinking as they used to be. Or heck, I have tons of college kids that use it just to uh, just uh, just to hedge their bets about getting to class in the morning. So that's uh, that's a great thing. That's on the website. There's tons of fun stuff in our online store. So check it out. We'll have links to all these up on the website. And uh, enjoy the episode. If you listen closely, you can hear the voices. You can hear them whisper the legacy to you. Go on, lean in. From somewhere deep inside the evergreen forests of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> everything you know is wrong. Wrong, sir. Wrong with Jeremy Horn. We're an inhuman monster. I said good day. My guest this episode is David Montgomery. David Montgomery is a professor of Earth and Space Science at the University of Washington, and he is one of the premier geologists in the country, if not the world. He's far too humble to cop to that, but hell, I'll say whatever I want. He is a, he's a truly a brilliant mind, um, specifically geomorphology, which is how environments change over time. Um, I first became aware of him with his uh, his book, Dirt, The Erosion of Civilizations, um, which, which kind of explores how the evolution of topography can directly track the influences of ecological systems on human societies, uh, more generally, uh, how we how our, our our empires throughout human history can be tracked and traced and watched, how they've treated their soil and how they've expanded and grown, and then how they've eventually fallen apart from overextending their resources. So it's kind of a roadmap to how to lose an empire and how to ruin an empire. Which for the U.S., hey, it's something we better pay attention to because our our, our empire is slipping through our fingers uh, day after day. 
He's a regular talking head on multiple shows on PBS, and he is a recipient of the MacArthur Fellowship Grant, which, uh, as many people know, is the uh, they call it the Genius Grant, and it's pretty remarkable. I never knew the process of how I, I knew you didn't get nominated. I knew it, it, it's it, it's it's something that you got handpicked from, but I didn't necessarily the process. But he gets into it, and it's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, it's it's he has written a, a, an essentially a trilogy of books. Dirt um, was how I had learned about him, and then. Um, uh, the next is The Hidden Half of Nature, which we delve into a lot in this episode, which is uh, kind of discusses the, 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 the ecosystems within dirt itself, within soil itself, that he co-wrote with his wife, Anne, um, which is more than just the, the, literally the surface of, of, of soil, but actually um, the, 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 the universes that, that are within it that comprise it. And the last is Growing a Revolution, which is bringing our soil back to life. It's basically a trilogy of how we screwed over our soil. Uh, what we can do about it and how. So those are the three. Those are the three books in order. Um, we've got it. We'll have links to them on the website. We encourage you to check it out. But in the meantime, enjoy the episode. He's a, he's a thrill to talk to. Enjoy. Well, first off, welcome. What do you what do you think of the Treetop Tavern? Oh, well, thanks. Uh, it's very Hobbit like. It is right. Yeah, you feel it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that round door is a dead giveaway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unmistakable. Right? Yep. Even, yeah. <laughs> Even if someone's never seen Lord of the Rings, I think they they have you know they know at least what a Hobbit door looks like. <laughs> well, welcome, Dave. It was glad to have you here. Well, thanks. Pleasure to be here talking to you. Yeah, we want to do uh, well. First of all, I wanted to one thing I was just just for my own uh, curiosity is the, uh, the 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 fellowship the um, MacArthur Fellowship. It, that's not something you apply to. Right? No, in fact, when you get the phone call, you don't even know you've been nominated. That's so hilarious. It's just completely out of the blue. That's amazing to me. That, that was amazing me. to me, too. I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like going up to your mailbox, opening up and be like, yeah, you just been drafted by the Lakers. You're like, really? I was in the draft? Nice. Yeah, I can play basketball. <laughs> I can play basketball? <laughs> yeah, good to know. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was a complete surprise. I was actually in a hotel room in Baltimore when I got the phone call and was like, Really? Why? Why are you calling me? Who are who are you? And why are you calling? How'd you find my hotel? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was a major conspiracy among friends that would make sure that they would knew where I was, but I was clueless. Right. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. I see. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Well, what did you? What was your first response when you when you got that call? What was your natural? I was like, really? What kind of a joke is this? Are yeah. You kidding me? Yeah. You know, who, yeah. Who put you up to this? Exactly. Yeah. Isn't that and funny? the guy like uh, assured me that no, it was actually. True, and you know, and I heard of them. I was like, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why yeah, are you calling I me? I have, um, <laughs> and it turned out to be legit. And it was actually uh, quite difficult for the next week mm. to not tell anybody. Oh yeah, I can imagine. But yep. you're, they have an incredibly uh, um, good. Uh, it's sort of a program of secrecy mm-hmm. in terms of between when they tell people and when they do their press release on it, you're really supposed to keep it completely under wraps. You have to, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's kind of big news that gets out, and it's it's one of the things that there's sort of a media... Uh, and they want the announcement. Around. Exactly. They want the announcement yeah. so that then everything branches off from that. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. they're doing something so nice to you. Right. That you it's don't like, wanna... are, you, are you really going to try do something that would yeah. screw it up for them? You're gonna no. Be the jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be the one jerk that ruined it for everybody. Exactly. Such a nice thing. So oh. it's, um, it, and it's a pretty amazing thing. They're, um, they are very serious about uh, investing in people they see as very creative with no strings attached. Right. So it's, you know, I'm an academic. I've been putting grants in for the last 20 years for things. Usually you have to say, I'm going to do this and here's how I'm going to do it. And you lay your whole plan yes. out. And then you send them a report afterwards and yes. so forth. The MacArthur Foundation uh, doesn't ask you for a plan. Mm. They just ask you, um, they just basically have faith that you're going to do something creative and interesting with with their funding and allow you to sort of further what you think is the right thing that you need to do and and for me that that has been trying to write um sort of books about science but for a broader more popular audience because mm-hmm. i don't think that scientists uh enough scientists are really trying to communicate outside the world of science i think that's what they appreciate it too is that how do you take this this these complex ideas and deliver them in a form where someone can be like oh i see how that applies to me as opposed to it's so far out there, I don't know how this affects me, so I'm not going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's a, there's a, a great need in today's world where you have so many people who are pushing the bounds of knowledge to you know limits that you know even just 20 years ago we never would have um, really thought about or mm-hmm. imagined. How do you get that information and what it means uh, for society? To the general public, to policymakers, how do you get it sort of out beyond the people who are on that active margin of knowledge as it expands? That's, that's a good point because it changes so rapidly now too. 
especially in the internet age, everything just changes so rapidly, so quickly. And information is something you believed, you know, two years ago, suddenly you're like, oh, that's dead wrong. Now that's dead wrong. Wow. And I think people get overwhelmed. I think it's so easy to get overwhelmed. <laughs> well, and it's also, it's easy to sort of get the perception that, you know, um, if science is always changing, well, what, why tune what in? can we really know? True. Why yeah. tune, in, tune in? Why base stuff on it? And you know, science is an endeavor that is always changing. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, what we thought to be true gets completely flipped on its head, which is really exciting yeah. as a scientist. Yeah. Um, but it's it kind of runs counter to the popular narrative of how science works exactly. in terms of putting facts together and stringing knowledge along. You know, part of science is, is the context of how you look at those facts, the framework, the way you organize things in your brain around the bits of knowledge that you do gather together um, in whatever discipline. And those moments when that framing changes are, are really exciting times of opportunity because what you thought to be true may turn out to have been only a little piece of a bigger picture. If you're trying to expand your knowledge base, it's very exciting. But if you see change as a threat, I think that's where a lot of times people get very uncomfortable, where I've seen people try to argue with, with brilliant, brilliant scientific minds and that, uh, that say, well, then, so gravity is just a theory. It's like, well, again, everything in the world is like, no, well, you know, the Bible's absolute. I'm like, well, once again, that's what's defeating the purpose of the conversation is that we're, we're not looking at things in terms of absolutes. We're looking at, you know what I mean, a broader, a broader realm, you know? Yeah, and there are, there are um, you know, there's also the, the sort of the, the problem of semantics in terms of um, yeah. engagement with ideas. And, and theory is, is just like the perfect word for right. that discussion. Right. Because, yeah, the theory of gravity is a pretty damn good it's theory. It's pretty solid theory. You know, yeah. every, every time I've thrown a rock, it goes a certain distance and then yeah. it drops. Yeah. But yeah, but you're saying there's a chance of go ahead and walk off that building. If you want to test that theory, you, maybe you're the one. Yeah. One of my favorite comedians, uh, Mark Maron, is, uh, is Jewish, right? And he's just kind of like, it's, it's, he's like, I, I enjoy getting. In, uh, you know, uh, theological debates because you know Jewish people have a different concept of heaven and hell. He's like, um, but he's just kind of like every time people talk in absolutes with religion, it's always strange to me because I just picture Jesus coming back and going to a Walmart or Target during Christmas and be like, no, no, you all got it wrong, all of you got it wrong. <laughs> There's your absolute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and I suspect that's exactly what he's yeah. thinking. <laughs> no, this is not now. <laughs> not what I had in mind. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. the birthday celebration, but now this is not. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh yeah. Well, I think I think that's that's perfect. So you said, what can we really rely on? What are what are these 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 truths? And one thing, so I've always been fascinated by minerals, and it's something that you you ask the average person about geology and minerals, and they tune out. It doesn't it doesn't seem sexy or interesting, but it's such a critical component of of what makes us. Period. What we are as people, some of the most basic components that we don't even that we completely disregard. And secondly, you remember back like I always think nowadays there's always a new. Um, epidemic. Epidemic is a, t- a term now that's just used in like casual conversation. That blows my mind. Back in the 80s and 90s, epidemic used to mean everybody freaked the hell out. That means everybody panic, right? Now with SARS and bird flu and this, there's a new epidemic every week to the point where people go, did you hear that zinc uh, uh, de- uh, mineral deposits are being extinct in the U- in the US and soil deposits? And people are like, oh, wow, that's <laughs> troubling. Uh, but anyway, so what's the, you know, next week there's gonna be a new epidemic, right? And to the point where I remember somebody was, um, I think it was Aziz Ansari was on Saturday Night Live and, and, and was right after, uh, after a, a, a tragedy. And I genuinely couldn't remember what tragedy is because there's another school shooting two weeks later that I'm like, Oh my God, that is horrifying. Everybody remembers where we were when the challenger exploded. But now suddenly like I barely remember where I was when Columbine, you know, happened or I barely remember when um, uh, Sandy hook, it's just a new disaster every time. And I think people have become overwhelmed and I think people have just, I think that's one of the dangers of the information age yeah. is that we're, you know, people are really good at processing information and accumulating information, but you can still be overloaded. Yeah. Like, like you're describing. And, you know, the that's a problem also in looking at sort of attitudes about the environment in that there's been, you know, 20, 30, 40 years now of serious and quite legitimate concern about things like climate change, about uh, groundwater supplies, about our future energy sources, about biodiversity, about what's happening to the fertility of the soils that we depend on to get those nutrients out of those rocks mm-hmm. and into plants so we can eat them them. or we can eat the animals that eat them. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you have this steady drumbeat of crisis and everything is going wrong, it can really get, it it can be numbing. It's hard to be practical. It's hard to like, what can I practically do about it? And it's hard to motivate to get off, to get off. off, um, Yeah. If we're all spiraling into nothingness anyway, what what do you want me to do? Right. It's easy to, yeah. 
And so th- that's one of the things I try and take on in the uh, my new book, uh, Growing Our Revolution, Bringing Our Soil Back to Life, is that it's one of those cases where there actually are practical things that farmers can do that benefit them that are in society's long-term best interest. And it's actually kind of a, a good news story about how we might be able to do something quite positive about the environment because in that case, short-term economics are starting to line up with our long-term interests in, in preserving the fertility of the soil and its ability to grow a lot of food. And I, th- quite frankly, I think we need people who are engaged in writing and communicating to the general public need to try and find some of those good news stories because mm-hmm. a steady drumbeat of crisis and bad news becomes crippling for action can very much become crippling and and paralyzing mm-hmm. in terms of motivating yep and we're we're legitimately at a a very critical juncture for the human species in this 21st century there's enough of us now that we really govern what yeah. happens on the surface of the world right. so the future of the rest of nature is mm-hmm. pretty much in our hands yeah and we're not really thinking strategically about how to sort of guide to some kind of outcome we'd like. We're kind of muddling along on six-month and two-year and four-year policy cycles. It feels like in uh, – yeah, exactly. The short term. It feels like in, 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 in comedies or cartoons where four people are stuck in a raft and then one of them just eats the entire supply for the week. Like, what are you doing? And it's like, I was hungry. You know, it's just so self-absorbed and we're stuck on a raft indefinitely, right? Yeah, well, I mean, Earth is a raft in space. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some pretty legitimate questions about how long uh, humanity would be able to survive if we went out into space, just from uh, radiation shielding, God, other kind yeah. of sources, and, and also whether we could take the other organisms with us that we need to be healthy. I mean, the discoveries about the microbes that mm-hmm, live within mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. in the last few decades and how central they are to our health. Right. That really brings up the question of, oh, well... If we really set off to go to another solar system, you sort of take the, the science fiction fantasy of, of getting off this planet and going out and colonizing space. Are we going to be able to take all the other components of our internal ecosystems with us when we don't even know what they fully are yet? Right, truly. We're just really discovering. I mean, uh, um, probiotics and things like that and, and gut flora is something that's a discussion that's only happened in the less than a decade really less than a decade yeah. of aggressively searching of just like not just knowing about it but being like oh my god it's like splitting the atom there's more stuff inside I thought this was it that's it there's more stuff yeah yeah and particularly sort of that it's actually central to the way that your Critical. immune system operates we yeah. used to think of, of, of microbes as germs mm-hmm. right you know, things that we want to scrub off of ourselves sanitize right. out of our lives and in that last 10, 20 years, we've really learned the mechanisms mm-hmm. through which those community of organisms within us actually bolster our immune system and act as its intelligence arm. Right. Which means that if we don't have certain microbes living within us, our immune system's kind of flying blind. Can't send those messages and relay relay orders, yeah. And that that can lead to um, you know out-of-control inflammation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you look at the kind of chronic diseases that are afflicting people today. Yeah. They're it's, mostly inf- inflammation related. Yeah. And there's some serious efforts to try and link that to changes in our internal microbiota, our, our our microbiome and our gut microbiome in particular. Thirty years ago, that was crazy talk. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now it's in all the journals. Yeah. I've been doing this for 25 years. So people look at my age and they see the people that I te- speak with and lecture with and teach with and like, what's going on? You're the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're, you're, who's the weirdo with the mohawk? I saw him on PBS. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is, right? But that's why 25 years ago, I was having this conversation with people way smarter than me that were amazed that a high school college kid, you know what I mean, had been reading these the same journals they had, and it's because nobody was discussing it. Yeah. Nobody else would have that conversation with you. So it's it's a thrill to see how now it's becoming part the conversation and now they've changed they used to call it the second brain well now they're calling it the other brain because yeah. the brain and they have to reach really messages so uh, systematically in, entirely it's like saying like well there's you know some circulatory channels and the ones your feet they're all the same <laughs> circulations it's, it's your same veins and arteries right they're, they're all connected they're all connected and so now it's it's interesting to me that I see that the dialogue has even changed where instead of calling the second brain uh, neurologists and gastroenterologists are now discussing and being like I'm now partnering with people I never would have talked to 10 years ago you know yeah. what I mean five years ago this is very fascinating but I think going 
going back to the point you were saying is that I think it's hard for people because here's these complicated, very complicated ideas that are just happening or brand new. And then so people are like, how does that mean to me? I was like, I don't know. We're still learning ourselves. But then you have Jamie Lee Curtis going like, well, just eat this. Right. And then was like, oh, that's all. And I think people feel <laughs> like even if it's true, you know, and even if it's important information, it can't just be in this plastic thing full of strawberries and sugar. You know what I mean? Being hawked on TV <laughs> and people are right. No, that's not the full right. conversation. But yes, at least we're discussing it. All right. We've gotten to the point uh, recently with the with the gut microbiome and its importance to our own health where we can identify the mechanisms through how it works. So it's no longer just sort of like this this strange new age voodoo magic. No, there's actually real connections. Right. Um, but there's so many different species of microbes that yeah. make up our gut microbiome. And yours is so different from mine is so different from everybody else's. They're all kind of unique ecosystems. And if you start looking at them that way, it, it becomes um, not that surprising to think that, well, maybe if you, you know, when you look at probiotics, say, which species should you eat? Exactly. And the answer may differ mm-hmm. for different people. Mm-hmm. And what combination should you eat? So exactly. we're, we're just starting, I think, to get to the point where we can really ask the right questions that will lead to the understand that will lead us to a better understanding of what the answers really are. But that's not stopping so the commercial applications from pushing ahead. Right. Like, yeah, yep. just eat this one because <laughs> I'm know. selling it. Yep. Yep. But it's an exciting time scientifically mm-hmm. because we've had this sort of fundamental shift in thinking mm-hmm. that is starting to focus on, you know, what are the community dynamics of the ecology within you? And I think very few of us, especially those who, who went to college a few decades ago, uh, we're really trained to think of our bodies as ecosystems. Right. You know, we're trained to think of, you know, our, our bodies as part of larger ecosystems. Like mechanics. Like you can, yeah. Yeah, and that we're a piece of something bigger. Yep. But not so much about how do those little pieces within us mm-hmm. integrate and interact ecologically? And what is it that we do, especially what we eat? Right. How does that influence what's happening in our internal Amazon? Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it is, is I always have to reframe the question. I know what people are asking, but they're asking it incorrectly, but nobody's <laughs> correcting them. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. people always go, well, what's the best one? I'm like, what do you mean? Which one? You know, that's right. like, that's like saying like, uh, I'm only going to eat one fruit, pick a fruit. Well, you're missing out a whole subsegment of nutrients in vegetables and other types of fruits that have different enzymes and different components of bioflavonoids. Yeah, and, and it may be the diversity of it's inputs diversity that, that is it. actually a key part of the benefit to you. And I think the key is the diversity. And I think people are slowly coming around to that. Because, you know, we the, our government finally chucked the food pyramid, which anybody has known for decades is nonsense. And they finally cop to it, right? And then they introduced, uh, uh, and I remember they tried this. Instead of saying, eat your, your this many servings a day, and they tried it. They released it to the U.S. public in our educational system, and it just tanked was uh, uh, try to eat five different colors a day. Yeah, eat the rainbow. Eat the rainbow. Yeah. And it's a great idea. It's great for kids. They just didn't do a good job of really applicating and applying it or explaining why. Because it sounded like the government's now marketing to us, which but they are. To me, yeah. it's that, 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 that explaining why part is mm-hmm. the really key. Because right. um, you know, when my wife and I were working on our book, uh, The Hidden Half of Nature, The Microbial Roots of Life and Health, we started it not really knowing that much about microbes. And at the end, we were like, you know, really up on a lot of these yeah. things. And one of the key revelations to me that came out of, of researching that book was an understanding of why my doctor was always telling me to eat more fiber. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, every time mm-hmm. I'd gone to the doctor for 20 years, it was like, eat, ah, Dave, you should eat more fiber. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. You know, but I was never got a why. Yeah, yeah. And so it was really hard to motivate to mm-hmm. do something just because somebody's telling you to do it. It's true. the same thing with like the, the government saying, eat the rainbow in terms of the food pyramid. It's like, well, why? Just because you say so? Right. It's true. Like, am I really going to do that? Right. No, that, that's not a terribly right. American response true. to things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah. when you understand why, once I um, got into the understanding of the microbial ecology and realizing that it's those hard to digest um fiber-rich foods that have uh, complex carbohydrates that we don't have the enzymes to break down and digest, but that our gut microbiota do, that the idea that they ferment that stuff Mm -hmm. in our colon Mm -hmm. and turn it into medicinal metabolites that nourish our colon lining Mm -hmm. and prevent things like leaky gut syndrome, uh, and that help quell chronic inflammation Mm -hmm. through their metabolic influence on us from their metabolites. So it's our health is governed not by them or what we eat, but it's by them processing what we eat into other things that we absorb. It's so fundamental. It's not the... Yes. Yeah. And it's 30 like 30 years ago, it was not known. And yeah. I, no doctor that ever told me eat more fiber told me that was why. why. Yeah. 
And once you understand why, you go, oh, I get it. You're more motivated. You're like, hey, you know, we, more, I, we do mean new fiber. Yeah. yeah. It's, oh, it's to feed the, mic- the microbes mm-hmm. that are within me right. that are actually beneficial to me. Right. And if I don't eat that fiber, the microbes that are less beneficial or harmful to me will take over the ecology of that important piece of my machinery. And I don't want that to happen. Right, right. You know, so it's, you get motivated. It's hard to know the whole series of events and the whole cataclysm of, of, of things. It's kind of like uh, looking at a car. I mean, like, hey, let's go buy this car. It's like, look how many pieces are in this car. Each one of those made you know, by a different set of machinery in a different country, different types of metals, all those complicated pieces. Like you say, when we're just told, do this because blah, it's like, what? you don't see all the mechanics behind what goes into it. Whereas most people know if you open a, a car hood, it's like, oh, there's an engine inside. Well, yeah, you knew there was an engine inside, <laughs> yeah. right? I think most people didn't know the engine mechanics and i think now they're finally beginning to discuss those um but it's yep. but it's still the, the 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 nature being overwhelmed where people still want to know we have this weird notion and as, as as people what's the best just give me the best i want to know the best one i think people still try to wrap their heads around it. so that's the first thing i have to do is like there is no best like you said it's the biodiversity that your body's looking for it needs different components for different things because you don't know what you're going to introduce it to you might go to you go to your your sister's we- uh, 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 wedding and eat 10 hot dogs off the grill and you know a couple couple <laughs> cupcakes yeah you're gonna have a whole different set of floor for that than you are as if you're just eating regular peaches at home right and so uh one of the big uh uh, uh things when you when you when you first told me about the, the growing revolution book i was like the title alone i was like that's that's exactly what it is is i think a lot of those misconceptions are very easy to to they're very easy to to fix it's just getting people to to, to stop the politicizing or stop s- setting their um a, a opinions and ideals first before the discussions like let's 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 throw all of our ideals aside then let's have the discussion and then tell me what your idea is as soon as you say something people are immediately like well here's my take well, wait a minute oh yeah <laughs> nobody's oh, yeah. given their takes yet let's just have the conversation first right is that kind of what you've seen is oh yeah yeah there's a uh, a whole series of books now that have um that people tend to go to their corners on when they first yeah. hear the issue yep. whether it's uh, my first book was about the environmental history of salmon. And when you ask people in different parts of the world, you know, what was it that drove salmon close to extinction in their area? You know, if you work for the timber industry, you're going right. to point to the fishermen. If you're right. a fisherman, you're going to point to the timber industry. Yep. You know, they, they people go to their corners yeah. uh, easily. Or if you look at, um, I think the third book I wrote was about the history of science and religion and looking at the story of Noah's flood through the eyes of how did ge- geologists approach that story and then approach studying the surface of the earth and how do theologians approach it. But if you talk about um, uh, evolution in today's society, people go to their corners. It's, yeah, it's amazing. They kind of close their ears and they won't listen to each other very well. Um, and part of that's inevitable given the nature of the subject. But what I found most interesting in researching that book was that you, if you just look at the history, the evolution of thought in theology it helps explain to you an awful lot about the sort of the, the perceptions today. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the arguments about um, sort of literal interpretations versus uh, other more expansive interpretations mm-hmm. of the Bible really play out in terms of thinking about how you interpret geology. You don't even yeah. have to get to evolution yeah. to demonstrate that the whole young earth creationist model is, is flat out wrong. Yeah. That's the thing. There's there, exactly there's it's it's both expand the conversation. So I know people that are atheists are like, yeah, the Bible's a bunch of nonsense. And then we discover Jericho. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like there you go, right there. Right. Historical. Let's look at the history. Then I don't care about your opinion. Let's look at the history right there, right? Yeah. And it seems like everybody wants to get on these dichotomies of it's this or that. It's like well, let's look at the whole. Let's look at the whole picture. There's there's probably more to to that as well. Oh yeah, and, and agriculture is one of those areas too. Where, yeah. You know the a lot of the arguments immediately go to well, it's organic versus GMO. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't think that's the right argument it's we not, should be having. No, at I mean, all. We should be having the argument about how do we build very healthy, fertile soils that right. grow nutrient-dense foods. Right. And I visited a number of farms in research and growing our evolution that were not organic, mm-hmm. but that were growing that was growing food in a way that I thought was, you know, pretty sustainable. Yep. Um, Traditional, probably. Well, it was it, it was an interesting range of mm. things because mm. it was not really traditional so mm. much as emerging of modern science and traditional gotcha. views, kind of a hybrid, mm-hmm. taking mm-hmm. the right principles. Um, and it turned out there's sort of three key principles behind it that, that I'd be glad to go into, but that um, really showed how a farm that wasn't organic, if it adopted these principles for how do you regenerate the fertility and health of the soil it moves closer to being organic. I and see. I like to, to call them organic-ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some of these farmers, you know, w- did not really want to be organic right, farmers right. for cultural reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but 
they were perfectly happy not spending money on agrochemicals yeah. because it's more money that stays in their pocket. Mm-hmm. And they like the idea that their soil's getting healthier yeah. and they're growing mm-hmm. more nutrient-dense food that's better for people because that's how they see themselves as people who are feeding others. Right. And so, you know, over time, they all became much closer to organic in their right. practices in ways that had tremendous benefits for the environment but also good benefits for their farm. And they could do it over time, as opposed to, we need to make this farm profitable quick. Yeah. Well, no, well, I was actually surprised how fast they did it. it oh, is that right? Two to three years to turn... It doesn't take much, I've heard. No. That's what I've heard from yeah. organic farmers. It and that take really much. surprised me. Did it really? Yeah. yeah. And what, what also surprised me is they didn't have to go completely organic. Right. But that if they adopted these principles of regenerating their soil and its fertility, that's where those practices led them. Um, and... So I wonder whether we're having the wrong argument when we just simply talk about organic versus conventional or GMOs versus organic. It is the wrong conversation because like, uh, how do you make a pluot or whatever those new fruits you call, you know what I mean? Like when you take a plum and a kumquat and pick some together, you're like, yeah, these are delicious. Well, that's technically genetically modifying. Then when you get into chemically genetically modifying, that changes the context of the conversation. So like you said, people kind of get jumbled up in the terms without looking like, wait, what are we actually discussing here? GMO versus organic versus no, in the middle ground is... Yeah, and you can and you can miss like huge opportunities to to um, engender radical change, mm-hmm. transformative change in agriculture. Because if we could actually get conventional agriculture to go to this organic-ish model, because they can grow as much food at lower cost while improving their soil, yeah, um, in a way that has a smaller environmental footprint. Mm-hmm. Everybody wins right. except the people selling agrochemicals. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so, you know, if we if we stick too closely to 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 the argument of it's going to be conventional or it's organic, right? Uh, we kind of lo- we we risk losing sight of the opportunity to shift conventional as a body much closer to organic and thereby blur the the significance of the argument because right. if we could get a conventional agriculture down to using 10% of the agrochemicals they use which is what some of these farmers that I visited in researching growing a revolution had done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they'd done it it's over minimal. over like 3 to 10 years it was right. kind of that kind of a time frame uh, and they were just as profitable, if not more profitable, than they were before because their expenses were much lower. Way lower. Way lower. You're not tied into that. Yeah, exactly. So if Brand. we convert conventional agriculture to mm-hmm. that kind of agriculture... And it becomes cheaper as, as everybody, organic? right? And as, as as everybody begins to do that, and I think that's the yeah. problem. That's where organic come from is because the way we, we we treat our soil and the way we do farm is so offensive and so horrific that it takes an extreme change. You know what I mean? So I think that's what where that where that kind of grew out of because you have to because again, if you if you if your mindset is that like when I remember uh, in Congress something uh, uh, something got presented as as changing because Nabisco and companies like that couldn't couldn't follow organic standards and didn't want to pay for it. So like well, let's just change the laws. Let's make it 80% organic, 20% arsenic or whatever we want to, you know, hydrogenated corn or whatever they want to put in, right? But they're like, no, you're missing the point of why the organic standard is there. It's because you've been feeding people poison for so long that now we have to go in the opposite direction and be like, hey, we're not full of poison. Well, wait a minute. If you just said you're not full of poison, does that mean these are? And I think people had to make it a radical change in the way they thought. You know, I do a lot of speaking for Centers for Eating Disorders, and I find I work with so many teens. And after working with them, the parents come back to me and say, you know, we we went to this center and this didn't help, but this center really helped us. And it's because now she cooks all the meals in the house. She buys all whole food. Right. She does all the cooking. And I go, she even yells at me as a mom because I got the wrong stuff. I go, and she's right. And it's horrifying for the mother to think you contributed to this because she didn't know any better. The mom didn't know any better. She's just getting Campbell's suit off the shelf, and you know what I mean some triscuits i'm like here's your dinner like no that's not good for a kid you know like yeah yeah i mean that's that's one of the huge changes uh since the second world war is just in the amount of actual cooking that goes Mm -hmm. on in homes Mm -hmm. um it's all processed even the light cooking that we do even just like heating something up came out of you know what i mean that's been sitting there for god knows how long warming up the the processed stuff and you know like you said people people go how does this apply to me i can see even if they get the concepts like okay but then again why does this appeal to me right and once you sort of recognize that you know one of the problems with a diet that's rich in processed foods isn't so much that it's processed per se, right? but it's how Volume. it's processed mm-hmm. in the sense that, say you take a grain, wheat or, or yeah, let's stick with wheat. And you, you take that grain and in processing it, you break the germ away from the bran and away from the endosperm. And, you know, those three pieces of a seed are needed for it to be a viable seed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... A lot of the fiber and the phytochemicals are in the bran and the... And, exactly. Um, 
the components that your body actually needs to break down and, and, and process. Yeah. And, it, and when we process foods by basically taking the sugary part of the seed and putting that into white flour, mm-hmm. you've taken away all those parts that will actually feed your gut microbiome. And trigger the body to produce the enzymes to be like, oh, got to break this thing down because yeah. it doesn't, have, doesn't recognize those components. And, or, and the, the stuff that's been processed, the simple sugars will be absorbed fairly readily because our bodies can do that. Mm-hmm. But if we're not even eating the fiber p- component, they're, we're essentially starving our microbiome, mm-hmm. which will means that they are not making the medicinal metabolites yeah. that are essential to our health. Yep. People always use the term uh, gluten-free, you know what yeah. I mean? And they always they always try to turn it into a p- politicized word, and people get in these arguments. I'm like, knock it off. First of all, my, my niece is celiac. So when people say gluten-free is just a thing invented by the media, really? Then how come a pan cooked in a restaurant can kill my niece, you know? Right. We, we, a, a dozen trips to the hospital in the past two decades, and you tell me, you know what I mean? Like, So they, that, that's silly. That's stupid. But they are right in the fact that now it's, uh, things have been kind of overblown. But once again, it's a response to, from what you were saying, all these things that we're getting that are not true food, that the body is not utilizing – now has an impact. It's like all these inflammatory illnesses. Turn of the century was all polio and mumps and measles. And these were all the diseases that, well, once we, once we created vaccinations and things that control that, this, this new century is all these inflammatory conditions that, that, have, that don't show up on blood tests, that don't show up on, on you know, doctors do scans and be like, everything looks normal. Then why am I miserable? And that's who I have been dealing with the past decade is yeah. people that say, my doctor said, I'm the healthiest person in my age bracket they've ever seen. And yet talking to me, I know that they're constantly miserable. They can't sleep. And so, um, in a microcosm, there's all these things that we discuss kind of go together. But just to show people right in front of their face, I go, don't take my eyes or Dave's word for it when people see it in their own lives. So I have, I have clients of mine that are gluten intolerant and it's because they're eating what they thought was whole grains and it wasn't. Right. So I go, you're not necessarily gluten intolerant. You're eating what's, what ain't necessarily food, right? Yeah. And, and there's questions about other things that are in it. For example, yeah, um, added. Uh, mm-hmm. well, wheat gets a lot of wheat in this country gets sprayed with glyphosate right before it's harvested, yeah. uh, which I mean, you kind of wonder why are we spraying herbicides on things to make it easier? to process not yeah, to kill the weeds. not to kill the wheat yeah you know putting aside the question of whether she would be doing that in the first place but um you know oh, so there's dirty. there's real problems with gluten intolerance with people who are actually gluten intolerant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i it's i think a bit of an open question as to how much of the chronic problems that some people have had that have been attributed to gluten are actually due to gluten as yeah. much as they are to the overprocessing of of grains right. um, and other things that come along with them. Yep, I've heard anecdotally from people who have had children who had real problems with mm-hmm. eating wheat, mm-hmm. who when they converted to organic whole grain wheat products, mm-hmm. those problems went away. Exactly. If that's the case, it's not a gluten issue. Exactly. Um, but and I think that's where people get things going on. So one of the real problems with a lot of these um, chronic diseases, which are, have been the, you know the real bane of, of the developed world and the mm-hmm. post post-World War II era, when we really sort of almost conquered many of the infectious diseases mm-hmm. through antibiotics and, and um, cleaning up drinking water supplies, um, what we, we've struggled to understand these more chronic conditions. Right. And it's probably due to a combination of diet where we were eating more processed foods, so more simple sugars, less fiber, and then the effects that that has had on on our microbiota. Um, it's it's a, like you said, it's a combination. Everybody keeps trying to find yeah. it's this or it's that or it's this. Or that. It's all these things. It's all these things you're combining. I, 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 I work with tons of um, autism. And so like I see parents with, with children with autism arguing. And I'm like, stop it. You two arguing is not helping your kids. It's just <laughs> yeah. so harmful to the children. It drives me insane, right? Where they go, no, it's this. No, it's this. You're fighting over the causes? Give me a break, right? And people say, it's vaccines. It's this. It's like, once again, we try to oversimplify everything. I go, it's a combination of all these things. So tell me about your pregnancy. Did you breastfeed? No. Uh, you know what I mean? It was a natural natural birth through the birth canal? No. C-section? Again, there's all yeah. these other how, components. How many rounds of antibiotics when the kid was like between zero and two? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like all these yeah. components that they never look at. I go, each one of these things contributed. It's like someone who's overweight and that you haven't seen for years. And you're like, man, what happened, buddy? He's like, I don't know. It came out of nowhere. Really? What's, tell me about yourself. Well, I eat Big Macs six times a day. I eat cake with every meal. I smoke cigarettes. I don't exercise. I don't know what it is. It's all, how do you, what do you, it's all of those things, right? We don't look at that full, full picture. We just want to know, is it this or is that? And real quick, I think you'll appreciate this. I have clients of mine that will go to Europe and they tell me they've been, they're, they're gluten intolerant. So I tell the same thing as you and I go here, let's just try to adjust some things. And they go, I do notice I'm good. But if I go to a restaurant, I'll flip again, because now you're getting these things that are not necessarily what you think they are. So then they go to Europe and they go, my, my husband and I, we're going to Europe. We're going to eat whatever we want. And I tell them, I encourage it. You know, I give them some basic digestive enzymes and a couple basic things just to keep them well. But I go, you know what? That you pay, you saved all this money to go on vacation for two weeks. Go, go nuts. Go have yeah. fun. So she comes back and she's like, me and my husband, 
have been, you know, have been, have been avoiding gluten for the past six months. We've lost weight. We feel better, less inflammation. We feel great. Right. So then she was like, screw it. We're taking that. We're taking that. We're taking the leash off. We ate pasta, every meal, bread, you know what I mean? Cheese, everything we want, nothing, no problems. They come back here. They went right back to regular bread. Boom. Inflamed. I go, see, it's yeah. not the gluten. As you're saying, it's not this, it's not that. You know, it's- I've, I've heard people tell a very similar story. Um, from their experiences. Yeah. And these are people going nuts. This is not people experimenting. These people going like, I'm going to France. I'm eating bread every meal. I'm having bread for breakfast, right? (laughs) Bread and fat day for breakfast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's a, that's a, that's a controlled setting. You know what I mean? Where they're like, they're, they're taking all the restrictions off. I go, that gives you a full, a full picture. So there's, there's really sort of two components to that, I think, in terms of what we're starting to realize is how important our diet is Mm -hmm. to our microbiota's diet and what they then do with it. And the two components are really sort of what we choose to eat, mm-hmm, the mix mm-hmm. of things that right. we eat, and then how that food is grown and or processed. Mm-hmm. Both sort ends. Of, and those two things are they're almost independent um, dimensions to the problem. Right. Because you could have a very healthy diet of conventionally grown foods mm-hmm. that was uh, you know very rich in fruits and vegetables. Uh, and if you're, you know, the really big difference that people have noticed between conventional organic foods nutritionally um, are consistently, you know, the differences in pesticides because of the obvious difference in practices mm-hmm. there. But, you you know, you can actually wash conventional produce right. and get most, if not all of it off. Right. Um, and then there's uh, all the sort of the, the antioxidants and the, the phytochemicals. The actual nutritional content. Yeah. It's vastly different. It's vastly different, but in areas that aren't often considered nutrition. They're mm-hmm. in these, the other plant... Like the skins and the and the fibers and the peels, yeah. Or the biofla- so so the, the, phy- the phytochemicals mm-hmm. um, that we haven't necessarily classified the, the, the flavonoids, the polyphenols, yeah. Bio- phenols, yeah. the you know things that are not classified as right. nutrients right. in the nutritional world, and you're critical yet that are very important for maintaining uh, human health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's some semantic problems in terms of how we define nutrition. Yeah, um, but. And I, I try to tell people that people that, that think uh, organic is some form of marketing or, or traditional farming, I explain to them that if you just have a, a two two vegetables, right, and uh, this one is $2 and this one's $1, well, the organic one is $2 and people sell that's twice as much. It has six times the nutrients. So in other case, you got ripped off. Instead of looking at this as twice as expensive, look at this as you got ripped off. Yeah, you know? but, the, the, but the and a parallel problem is that the organic label isn't adequate to actually draw that conclusion. What you true. want to know mm-hmm. is how the practices on that farm were really, actually true. done. Yeah. Because there are some farms that are classified as conventional that would just get lumped in right. with it's conventional true. produce at a grocery store that are actually grown in ways that generate nutrient de- mm-hmm. high nutrient density. Especially washing here, there's a lot of yeah. quality. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, been, I've visited farms where the farmers are doing incredibly uh, progressive practices yeah. for promoting soil health, growing incredible food, but they were not organic. Yeah. And there's other organic farms that are destroying their soil. Yep. Now, yep. I don't think well. that's the majority of organic right. farms, right? But it's, it can it happen, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so if you go to the grocery store and you're just looking at the organic versus uh, the organic label as a signal, it tells you something about how that food is story. grown. Right, mm-hmm. but it's not the whole story. And that's where, with this most recent book, I got really interested in, well... Is that the growing the revolution? Yeah, yeah, the growing revolution is sort of how... You know, what are the common elements to mm-hmm. practices that build the fertility of the soil, which enhances the nutrient transfer to yep. give you those nutrient-dense crops? And getting people thinking that way and leaning that way and, and, and spying towards that way. Well, I always use a shortcut because I tell people exactly what, what we're talking about right now. And, and, and I go, it's not necessarily the organic versus the GMO. And again, I go, the best way to look at it, because nobody's going to go visit every farm they go buy stuff from. The more local you can buy it from, at least you know it's not getting shipped. Organic or not, at least it's not getting shipped from, you know what I mean? Got to be in a truck for three days before it gets to you. Yeah. By ripens. Yeah. So I go, if you can find local, I guarantee you those local farmers are doing practices that make them competitive because they have to, that are probably pretty good for their soil, pretty good for their. Well, and one of the things we do know for sure about the nutritional quality of, of of uh, vegetables at least is that after you pick them they start to drop Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so if you can eat fresher food right which you know depending on how fast that truck drives (laughs) (laughs) that is another factor that is another factor (laughs) but you know if you're eating fresher food Mm -hmm. it is more nutritious Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so you could i could argue that it would be better for someone in new york city to eat a um you know locally grown produce that was conventional Rather than organic produce from California, true, true. If that truck was slow, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, depend, but and but when you go into a grocery store, 
you don't know when the it's, thing was harvested. So you don't yeah, know if that so hard was like know. yesterday or last week or last month. Yeah. Or if the apple's been sitting in a locker for a year. I do see younger and younger people, couples in their 20s and 30s and, you know, and, and individuals doing their own growing in their little porches and their in their condominiums apartments. I do see a lot more of that, which I didn't see five, six years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? From from, yeah. from from I think people are more aware of They're it. They're more now. aware. And I think that's the big thing is the more information you provide, the more it's like, see, I don't have a, I don't have a bone to pick in this fight. I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying <laughs> <laughs> to give you the best info well here's another independent thing like like you said these are two independent things that but they work synergistically but they but they they function independently here's the third one that i think is is complicated i think most people can understand is that ever since the industrial revolution we have been destroying our soil i mean we've been we've been depleting mineral deposits exponentially in the u.s right and science usually try they, there's usually a common ground but there's a lot of infighting enough i think most geologists i think pretty much every geologist in this country would agree to that right to the most part like how 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 um and, and you would know the scale that I don't. And I, I even have trouble conveying this to people. I go, I read it all the time. I see U.S. News Report, The Atlantic. They always go like, well, it turns out magnesium levels are depleting. It's like, well, that's horrifying. And then it's like, well, on to the next chapter. You know, like, right. what does that mean, though? But it seems like it's spiraling rapidly. And I think every each uh, is being buried in the news because we're like, Looks like there's 60% less zinc than there was in the 70s. Well, looks like there's 80% less selenium than there was in the 80s. It keeps, you know what I mean? How many times can you hear that stat before it jostles you and be like, whoa. Yeah, there's been a few studies that have tra- uh, tracked that into foods and shown that the micronutrient concentrations have gone down greatly since the 1940s. They've, they've even gone down since the 1980s. Yeah. that's. There's a lot of argument about why that is. And some of it is due to crop breeding for... Uh, varieties that uh, promote yield over nutrient density. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you take the same amount of nutrients and divide it by twice as many kernels of corn, each one has half as much. And genetic diversity as well. Yeah. This is less, yeah. Yep. Um, but the, you know, I would like to think that there'd be very little controversy over whether agricultural practices have resulted in degraded soil fertility in societies around the world. Right. And it's been accelerated in the modern world under mm-hmm. conventional agriculture. Uh, yep. And that was the, se- the second book I wrote was called dirt, the erosion of civilizations. And that was one I became aware of. Oh, great. Yeah. It's um, that was the one that really sort of got me solidly into the popular science I'll bet. Book That's writing all yeah. world. And it was amazing to me to research it. I sort of approached it from the geologist a geologist's interest in archaeology, and I ended up writing a history of farming. <laughs> <laughs> nice, because <laughs> it turned out that that really was. That's, I that's, think. Re- that's the reality. That's the yeah. yeah that's the story. That was the, that was the story. Yep. And yep. one of the fun things about writing a book is that you don't know what the, a nonfiction book because mm-hmm. you don't really know what the story is ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that if one writes fiction, mm-hmm. that you sort of like plot the story out and you kind of figure out what you want to do, and you probably discover things about your characters as you write mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But with nonfiction, you really kind of discover what the real story is mm. as you do it. Yeah. Um, you start off in a direction because you have an idea you want to pursue, and then you start vacuuming up information and ideas and That's visiting exciting, people yeah. and talking to them and, um, and discover what the story is. You and, see it develop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it turns out that the way that people have treated their soil, treated their land, um, has affected the course and fate of society after society. Yeah. And we're facing a similar dilemma today uh, with where agriculture is going to go in the next hundred years. You want to hear something crazy? So I used to live in Africa and um, uh, whenever you see uh, Starbucks, I'm not picking on Starbucks. I'm just, I'm just naming a, naming a brand, right? And because we're in Seattle, so Starbucks. Uh, when you see that like uh, um, fair trade coffee from Ethiopia, right? And so you're like, great, I want to support that, which is, it's a, it's a, it's a nice thing to do. It's a, it's a good way for people to give back. So living in Africa, seeing these farms where, where now it's gone from, like we said, um, multi, you know, a uh, multi diversity of, 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 of plants and vegetables and things like that, to now just singular crop, you know, one crop uh so now you're harvesting all this coffee and you're growing all this coffee and shipping it all over the world and so the 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 the, the money raise, rises at the village people have more money but they're like what do i do with this money you know what i mean like these, these people are just kind of like i don't need a whole lot like we make our own clothes and you know we don't need sneakers right and so they notice their own crops are having trouble growing their own vegetables for their own families right so suddenly all these resources going to grow these things the villages technically get richer right but then i'm watching them and they're telling me all these stories about how they're they're having trouble growing these certain fruits and vegetables that their kids love and can't have that well you've got more money so what do you do you go to the market and go buy these processed foods so see how it started a cycle where the cycle didn't exist so here we are trying to do a good thing and be like here welcome to modern world here's a stack of cash you know, and people are like, yay, we made it. Like the gods must be crazy. And it's like, no, it made things so much more complicated. But the people were like, what else can we do? Like we spent three years of us growing this, these coffee beans. And each year it gets harder and harder to grow our regular food and trying to go the okra and whatever it is. So, well, let's go to the market and go buy that okra. 
crazy, mm. just on a microeconomic level. You know, well, one of the places I visited uh, in writing Growing a Revolution was Costa Rica, mm-hmm. and visited. I went to the heart of Costa Rican coffee country and looked at their soil, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was destroyed. Really, you know, less than a hundred years of, of development coffee yeah. farming, of conventional Jeez. coffee farming had. You know, the topsoil was gone. They were farming the subsoil. The rivers were orange oh boy. because of all the erosion that was going off into them. And if you drove up into the 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 area where we were, the slopes of the of the valley sides were all coffee, and then the ridge tops had all been left in forest. Mm-hmm. So it was native forest on the ridges. You go up to the native forest and the ridges, and you dig a hole, and there's like six inches to a foot of this rich black mm-hmm. earth. Yeah. Which had been everywhere. Mm-hmm. It had been, yeah. It had been everywhere. And you sort of talk to some of the farmers, and they're going, yeah, we're having a, a really hard time with now uh, crop diseases that 50, 60 years ago weren't even there. They oh, boy. Know. So th- there's there's all kinds of uh, cascading downsides yeah. to topsoil degradation mm-hmm. and, and soil, so, what I like to call soil abuse. Um, mm mm-hmm In terms of how we grow food. Mm-hmm. And if you take the... Um, the very naturally rich fertile topsoil out of the equation and think, well, how are we going to grow plants? Right. Well, the answer that we usually come to is more fertilizer mm-hmm. and more pesticides yep. because you need the fertilizer to grow the big plants. And then once you have plants where they're getting plenty of nitrogen and phosphorus, mm-hmm. they get lazy mm-hmm. and they don't put out as big a root system, yep. which means they're not getting as many micronutrients. And creating as rich of a nutrient. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this trade-off between mm-hmm. um, essentially growth and health yeah. of the plants, which translates into the quality of the food versus the quantity of the food. And I, and I think Americans don't realize it, but they've come to believe in magic. They've taken science has become so impressive and so advanced that they've turned it into magic, right? So it's kind of like um, science will solve that problem. Science will find a way to find a solve a problem. Yeah, exactly. Science will solve it someday. It's like with the Marie Curie when they like uh, when 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 radium was first discovered, and they said, "Boy, you take one little tiny piece of this stuff, and you just grew an entire uh, farm's worth of fruit, and look how huge it is." So every part of that seems like a good thing, except for the cancer. You know what I mean? Like yeah. every part of that, it's like, come on, there's you don't think there's a there's a side, you know what I mean? Like drawback to that. That, and people don't look at the drawbacks. We look at the quick results, the instant results. So, like you said, it's time for a revolution. It's time for a change in that thinking. Here's a here's a uh, 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 this is just kind of a just to see in a whole broadspect is learning about erosion. So, when I was in in Africa, you hear people have these discussions about erosion, and you're like, I don't care about your opinions. Look, just see that cliff right there. Ask the villagers and tell them what happened, what they've watched the last ten years. Your opinions are senseless. You know what I mean? Like it's right there in front of your face. Look yeah. at it. Turn your head this way. Stop looking at me. Look over there, right at that, right. And then, um, or, or or all it takes is a landslide in California. You can dis- discuss it and explain it to people till you're red in the face and, you know, with facts and figures until 10, 50 million dollar mansions slide into a, into a ravine. And you're like, there you go. You want to, you know what I mean? You want to hear more discussion or do you want to look at right there and what the effects are? Right. I'm curious if you, do you live here? You live here full time or you, yeah. you revenue? Okay. Yeah. And no, I teach at the University of Washington. That's exactly. Right so, so I wasn't sure if you split time for, yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, we are going to get nailed with an earthquake. It's happening. It, oh, yeah. It's going to be in only our, questions when it's in our lifetime. Yeah. I, I'm, 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 I feel like a religious. Depends how long we live. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true, right? Those factors. But I'm, I'm convinced it's going to happen in our lifetime. So I try to be as pragmatic about it without freaking out and letting it control your life. What, what really should we be looking at? What should we be doing? Well, so do you have your earthquake preparedness kit all set up? Yeah, mine's pretty lazy. But you want to hear some funny is, is uh, those MREs because I, I see all these disastrous places selling these MREs. They are nonsense, and I'm so mad at these comp- and people. Uh, I see these mega churches selling them and you know because it's like it's as, as you know raptures come in so buy buy this from me from come on right uh one it takes so much water to boil those things the most number one resource during an emergency and during a disaster is water, water. Yeah. and you're gonna be you're gonna use up your entire water supply cooking these stupid meals that you paid 50 bucks for it's the dumbest thing i've ever seen you know it's enough to get you for the for the first couple days and then the power gets turned back on but if there's a disaster of that of that magnitude that ain't that ain't what's gonna happen you know so i started just doing i just kind of refuel boxes of like uh, nutrient bars that are just made of nuts and berries and you know what I mean? No, no additives. And then once those expire, just replace them with a new box and it's 10 times cheaper. You're not buying it from some marketing idiot at 3 a.m. It blows my mind. And you want to hear something funny because like we've been talking about is that it's not whole food. It's, 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 it has to be, it has to be stabilized to a point where it'll last for a decade. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I bought, uh, um, three packs from 15 years ago. 
Okay. I'm sorry. I bought uh, uh, three cases. So a pack of 12 and uh, lunch and dinner for the, for, I just started eating them just to see, just to do a little research myself. Cause people ask me these questions. And so I'm like, you know what? I don't give people an answer unless I know for a fact, right? I'm not going to kind of mesh things together within three days, Dave headaches, nausea. I was miserable. I was sick, depressed three days. You know what I'm saying? Oh, because it's, it's all, it's not when people see enriched with iron, people buy that and go, Ooh, this Twinkie's enriched with iron. Yeah. That's not food enriched form with iron. iron and no fiber and no fiber, you know, <laughs> enriched with chemical ice with, with chemicals with thi- uh, thiamine and bio, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not real vitamin B1. It's, 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 it's a chemical version. And within three days made me so sick and tired and exhausted headaches, yeah, headaches because I've been just consuming chemicals for three days straight. Wow. Isn't that bizarre? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, we had uh, an earthquake preparedness kit for a while that was, uh, after King of Fish came out, I was uh, asked to go up and give a talk at the Sitka Seafood Festival up in Alaska. And so one of the ways they paid me is they gave me a box of frozen salmon. That ain't bad. Like like (laughs) 75 pounds of frozen salmon or something. No, that was terrific. So what we did is we threw that in the freezer in the basement. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then we bought an extra um, thing of propane for the barbecue. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And that was our earthquake preparedness plan yep. for until we ended up eating all the fish. But right, that happens. Yeah. The goal was okay. When the power goes out, it'll Ref- start thawing out. We we start barbecuing and invite the neighbors over. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. You know what I mean? That's that's really that's as simple as you can make it. As simple as you make yeah. it. Yeah, but know? the water is flashlight be and bullets. It's water, flashlight, and bullets. That's yeah. all. That's all. <laughs> the water is the number one problem, right? Yeah. It's- well, that's where you know the you know, your. The, the water heater in your house, that, that will become your water supply if you yeah. have the presence of mind to, to actually secure it and mm-hmm. then drain it when you need it. Yeah. Um, and how many people really get their own fresh water supplies? No, you know, nobody. It's all. No, nah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's basically the pipes to your house are going to break. Yep. Um, it's whatever's there. So. Yep. You want, and in this region, we could be on our own for a week or two yeah. in a big earthquake. That's kind of what it's I It's well worth worrying about. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen ge- geologically? Like, uh, um, oh boy, Well, basically, the Pacific Ocean is going to be shoved under North America by 15 to 30 feet. Yikes. Yeah, it's kind of, and it will be a Ugh, mess. Yeah. I mean, the, the disaster scenario uh, for the next really big you know, mega quake in Seattle are, are really ugly. Yeah, everything that I've seen, everything I've read, every every little bit is just like, yeesh, the oh, more, the digger I deep, the worse it gets. I keep waiting for that good news to be like, but there is this. Nope, <laughs> each time you dig deeper, it's a new mess. <laughs> yeah. Where's the fall? Where's the, the, the fall? It's like I-90, isn't it? Well, if you're looking at the uh, the mega quake, the sort of the big, the whole subduction margin quake, the one that could be, you know, not magnitude nine plus, the fault is actually at Seattle. It's like 20, 30 miles down. It's, it's, oh, that's it's, right. It's this whole, imagine that there's this, imagine the seafloor underneath yeah. uh, the Pacific and the bedrock for that extends down and dips under Western North America. And imagine that being shoved, it's kind of like a wedge. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that being shoved under the mountains that are here and what the kind of energy that it would yeah. take to do that. Oh, man. And then the shaking that that would, uh, Oh, and gender, yeah. it's supposed to be like a three to five minute, you know, mega shake. Yeah. The last really big one we had, or the last big one we had here in 2001, the Nisqually mm-hmm. earthquake, mm-hmm. that didn't even last a minute, I don't think. Yeah. And we're yeah. talking about something three to five times longer. I yeah. lost two chimneys off my house in, yeah, in sure. that one. Yeah. And as did a lot of other people. Yep. Three to five times. Yeah. It's incredible. And that one was, was, was pretty deep beneath the surface. This one's... Probably going to be closer to the surface. Right? Well, no, the big the big one here would be would be deep. It would be pretty. But deep. There, there's a so that's one scenario. If you want to talk disaster scenarios for Seattle, um, the other is a shallow quake on the Seattle Fault, which runs right between the two stadiums down just south of downtown, and run runs right out yeah. to Issaquah. Probably runs right through here somewhere. Oh goodness! Uh, yeah, <laughs> lucky you. Lucky um, us. <laughs> and that one's a shallow fault. Okay. So if you had a smaller earthquake, but it was closer to the surface, it'll be it'll be pretty destructive at the surface, mm-hmm. but over a smaller area. Okay. That that subduction zone quake is going to be deep and big, and you'll have shaking ex- from you know Northern California to Canada. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But the Seattle fault is going to be shaking from like Tacoma to Everett. Yikes! Um, yeah, yeah. It's I I'm always fascinated by those things. It's just it's just some people get 
crippled by it and they just get, they just succumb to it. I'm like, no, I just like to know. I just want to know the facts. I like, and I want to go to plane. I'm the one the guy that likes to know where the exits are. It's never going to happen. <laughs> Planes don't bother me. I like plane flying. But in case it happens, I'm like, I'm just going to have to crawl over that lady's lap and that dude's like, luggage and I'm out. You know what I mean? Like the rest of you should have listened to the thing. <laughs> should listen to the presentation. Figure it out. <laughs> well, as you know, like we've covered, we've covered a lot. And, and again, with the, with all your books, there's so much more. Each one specifically goes into another realm, which opens up a whole new chapter of what we can learn. If you could deliver one, because as you know, the podcast called Everything You Know Is Wrong, right? With these these crazy misconceptions that just get in the way of just the most basic forms of information, right? If there was a couple things that you could take off, excuse me, take out of the uh, conversation and 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 reopen things, what would that? What would those be? Boy, well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, pick a couple. Uh, I could go through each book and pick one or two, but <laughs> no, the, the the ones that I've been thinking about now is I actually put out a piece on a, a platform called The Conversation a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago at this point, um, that looked at some of the big myths of modern agriculture in terms of whether the first thing you sort of hear when you talk about how are we going to feed the world 100 years from now, is people go, oh, well, we need GM crops. We need large-scale um, conventional agriculture. You know, neither is actually true mm-hmm. when you actually get into it and look at the data. There's caveats to that, but there are other ways to get there. Um that are worth thinking about as, in terms of our policies and how we what we subsidize agriculturally or not. Um, and in terms of thinking about our own bodies and the microbes within us, I mean, we've tried to sanitize microbes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. out of our lives yeah. for decades. Right. And that was incredibly misguided. Mm-hmm, Turns mm-hmm. out that little kids really need to be yeah. exposed to microbial life in the first couple of years of life to build their immune system. I and cough it, on every child I see. Oh, well, that's not what I'm talking about. But let them go play in the dirt. Yep. Yeah. Right. Like George Carlin used to say, he's like, my generation swam in sewage and filth and never get sick. You know why? Because we swam in sewage and filth. <laughs> you know, and it's um, so there's there's these basic conceptions of how we see the world that have been changing that affect sort of the mythologies True. that we carry with us day to day. Yeah. What we think modern farming is. And I've done a couple interviews on the new book where people talk about modern versus organic farming. It's like, no, actually what I think to be like really cutting edge uh, farming is how can you actually grow as much food as possible with as few chemicals as possible, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. might be getting it down to none in Mm -hmm, some cases. mm -hmm. And using ecology as Mm -hmm. the science to drive it rather than chemistry and physics. Now, chemistry and physics matter to farming Mm -hmm. a lot. Right, right. (laughs) But it's the microbial ecology is what we've neglected. And so I see the opportunities to really for transformative change. For something that's been way overlooked. For something that's been way overlooked might be the the key component. Interesting. And actually, that's kind of a good um, thing to end on in terms of Uh, this all relates to science Mm -hmm. because it's often those areas that have been overlooked where there's room for for transformative progress. And in the last couple decades, that's often been the space between disciplines where Mm -hmm. you've had people really digging deep on the science, but very narrowly. And now scientists are starting to look to the sides and go, oh, well, how does geology relate to biology? Yeah. And that gets you into rethinking soil fertility, which may transform agriculture. Yep. So spaces between can be really valuable. As you said, the numbers, the numbers, the numbers lay out, like uh, Mark Twain, there's three types of of information in this world, lies, damn lies, and statistics. (laughs) There's a a gentleman, he's actually from Washington State, right? And um, for years, the White House has been using agrochemicals and things like that because the White House has to look spectacular in every picture every photo op right and so of course you know this guy he's a he's a he's a he's a he's a, a, a botanist and a, and a well well known everyone calls him like the, the 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 genius landscaper right so just just multi-million dollar properties and this and that and any sort of um, museum that opens he's the one that doing the landscaping and optimizing like you said the, the 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 ecology he takes a look at the ecology of that area says well these types of plants will grow better in this soil and these will feed this and he any 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 feng shui's all the plants and mm-hmm. puts them together right and so he had been he uh, somebody had just recommended for the White House, and I don't remember if it was maybe it was under the Clintons or maybe right, and they and so for years all these chemical companies have been doing the the. Um White House for decades were just like absolutely not. Here's our list of reasons why. Here's the number of blah blah blah. Right? Dude's crazy. Can't yeah, work. guys, the guy's a hippie weirdo. Can't. Yeah, he's gonna. You know what I mean? Ruin the White House and ruin America for everybody. Right? Yeah. And the guy simply presented his plan. You know what I mean? He's like, it costs one six hundredth 
of the budget. You know what I mean? That's not what they wanted to hear. The agro companies did not want to hear that. Right. And so of course, you know, the people in charge were like, okay, I think we're done talking here. Right. It's (laughs) like, so you can say, you can, you know, you can do, you can do the same job for one six, six hundredth of the government of, of, of of taxpayer dollars. Right. The, the Johnny paycheck, like you and me kicking into, And he's like, he's like, not only that, he's like, I'll make it far better. And ever since he's been the white house's guy, you know what I mean? Every, every, it's the same thing. Every, every new administration is just kind of like, that's one thing we don't change because he's now feng shuated to where like, it's a self-sustaining. Cause it works. It works. And now the White House is like a self-sustaining environment on its own. Isn't that crazy? Like oh, that, that yeah. fundamental change, that fundamental change tips the scales and now there's no going back. Just like how uh, GE and DuPont spent years poisoning rivers and, and just creating the most harsh chemicals ever until some bean counter said, you know, if we went a little more organic and green, it actually help us out. And that all they care about is the dollars and cents. The second they said, what? Suddenly DuPont and and, and GE developed these green energy departments. You know what I mean? Say so like, oh no, we've always believed in blah, blah, blah. Come on, <laughs> come on. Now you see where the money is. And I think, uh, you know, uh, cynically, I think now that people see by taking care of the soil and, and, and changing some of these, these ways that we've been doing think, for years actually is better financially. You know what I mean? And so I think that might be the motivating factor for them to actually study microbes and look at these things and maybe incorporate them. So... Yeah, and that that could also be the factor that helps some of these ideas for transformative change actually mm-hmm. stick. Exactly, because uh, many of the farmers I talked to, research and growing our evolution, they you know, they had various reasons for why they adopted the practices that they did, but they liked the fact that it rebuilt the fertility of their soil. They liked the fact that it maintained their crop yields, but they loved the fact that it saved them money. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And that's the key. I think more companies realize that even if it's not for the right reasons, just for that reason alone, they may be like, let's reevaluate our books. <laughs> well, this has been fun. Do you enjoy yourself? Yeah, yeah. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks for coming out. Oh, no worries. My pleasure. I don't get to hang out in a treehouse every day. Not every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> we do, but that's different. <laughs> and we'll put some more information on the website. So any, any, anybody that wants to learn more and get your books and learn more and, and, have, and complete the discussion and maybe throw you some questions the next time we have it, you know? Th- that sounds great. And we've yeah. got a website, dig2grow.com. Or if people are interested in Twitter, we're active on Twitter, and our handle's at dig2grow. It's good branding. It's good branding. Yeah. Kids do like the Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Hey, no worries. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. soon. Wasn't that dope? He is, uh, boy, he is, he's great to talk to. We talked about some fun stuff off air too. So I'd love to have him back another time and we'll talk to some, uh, we'll talk about some, some other ideas, but it's all changing. It's all growing. He's 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 gaining prominence nationally, uh, which which couldn't be more happy for him and thrilled for him and 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 the recognition that his work is getting. Uh, he recently spoke at a panel with uh, Howard Buffett, who is Warren Buffett's son, and uh, and and boy, he enjoyed what Howard is saying. Howard is a real big fan of his, so it's a uh, um, it's it's well worth taking the time to invest. So absolutely, check out his books, learn more about him. Uh, if you want to check him out on 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 Twitter or his website, is very simple, easy. Dig to grow, dig d i g the number two g-r-o-w and the twitter feed is the same dig the number two g-r-o-w and um yeah absolutely absolutely trace his work and track him and uh we're so glad we got to have him and we really hope you enjoyed we will talk to you soon peace Everything you know is wrong should be listened to for entertainment purposes only. Although some guests on the show are medical doctors, most are not, and the host is barely even a person. Nothing you hear on this podcast or read on our website should be considered medical advice. Consult your doctor and use common sense before doing anything you might think have a lasting effect on your body, mind, or spirit.